Thanks so much for tuning in to the Mooney Ponds Baptist Church Podcast. Here we upload our weekly teachings that happen every Sunday at our 10am service. If we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out to us. And check out our website at mpbc.org.au. Now last week I looked at uh, the issue of how to grow through grief. And it's the sort of growth we don't look forward to. But because life is 100% fatal, nobody gets off the planet alive unless Jesus comes back before then, it's important for us to recognise that grief can hit us at any time because we're mortal. And it may not hit us, but it will hit people around us. And the important thing is that as God's people, we can be agents of his grace so that we can help when grief hits. As Paul wrote to his fairly fractured friends at Corinth, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from him. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. Our faith distills our grief. It doesn't replace our grief. It doesn't matter how many Bible verses we know or how long we've been following Jesus or how long we've been in the church or whatever position we occupy in the church. Our faith doesn't replace the sense of loss and the sadness that that brings in as well. Now, as we are confronted or people confront us in their grief it's good to let God touch our grief so that we can find some point of contact and we don't have to relive or impose our grief on people some of the worst people you know the worst things we can say oh I know exactly how you feel Uh, You may or you may not. But it's rotten when somebody drops that on us, oh, I know exactly how I feel, and then they proceed to parade all their pain which has no connection with what you're going through. But faith in God gives us a clear perspective and gives us insights beyond theory. Oh, yeah, I've read all about grief. I know this is... no. Unless you've experienced grief, it's best to just listen to what people are saying. Listen to their pain. Because faith is not just an idea, not just a secure belief or a comfort. It is that. But it also is of something which projects us so that we can reach out compassionately to others in their need and offer support as Beck prayed so beautifully, not just the words to say, but some of the practical things we can do that will just help out. And we also have the wisdom of silence to just let people talk. You'll sometimes uh, see um, psychiatrists describe how they just let people talk. People lie down on the couch and talk. 
which reminds me of the elephant who went to the psychiatrist and the psychiatrist said that will be $3,000 for the couch and $50 for the consultation. But, you know, the psychiatrist listens to people, maybe drops a few questions in to trigger a more, a better awareness of the person with the problem. But just to listen and the Greeks had the word catharsis, where it just, in talking, it starts to clarify from within people what the problem really is. And in the valley of the shadow of death, as God's people, we have the opportunity to escort people along the edge of eternity. It's precious ground, it's holy ground. And as people open up, perhaps to, in ways they've never opened before, it's an opportunity for us to just be the presence of God for them. If, if they don't know him, if they do, well, we've got more common ground. But as we escort people along this edge of the uncertainty of eternity, discovering the limitations of life, how expectations can be suddenly shattered. Even if somebody has been lingering close to death for a long period, there's still that sudden sense of departure. And words alone don't fully address that. And that's why as we're guided by the shepherd, his rod and his staff, Give us comfort and guidance from Psalm 23, even in the valley of the shadow of death. But grief takes its own time. Some people recover quickly from grief. Others, it'll linger for a while, much longer than we might expect. And I'll touch on that in a little time. But when grief hits, it comes with a shock. As I mentioned just before, even if somebody, and we're expecting them, just, they're just hanging on, they're vegetating, they're comatose. They can hang on and hang on and hang on and we think we're ready for them to go. Or people around us might think they're ready for their loved one to go, but when they go, suddenly, all sorts of questions come, all sorts of uncertainty. And this comes with a sense of shock and numbness. And that's a gift from God, really. Because if we've got an infection or a broken bone, everything will swell up around the injury to immobilise that part of our body. To allow time for healing. To recognise the need for extra support, maybe through a sling or a splint. It's like a sedative to keep us from rushing into big decisions that we don't have the energy or the sense of perspective to follow through with. And we have the privilege as God's people to be the splint or the sling or the support so that as, as they are swollen up around in their minds and their thinking... Even spiritually, that nothing seems to get through to God, we can carry them by God's grace. 
It allows the healing to take place. And we can support and value them. If we've got a broken, if if we've got some sort of injury, whether it's a break or an infection, we sense more value of that that part of our body. Smash your toe into something, and you'll find that all sorts of things go looking for that toe to keep smashing into it. Have you noticed this? <laughs> and you appreciate that toe where you never really gave it much thought before. And when people are grieving. We can show them the respect and the support that may surprise them with how special they are to us. And of course, they are special to God. And as agents of his grace, we do this with that flavour of his presence, his spirit within us, so that they are drawn beyond us to see the open-heartedness of God. It takes time, but this is how it works. Now it's important that we recognise that there are stages or cycles of grief. Firstly, and as part of the shock, there's a sense of denial. It just can't be true. I was only talking with them yesterday or last month and everything looked so good. And of course this... This relates most particularly to a sudden death. Maybe violence or an accident or road trauma or even suicide. And I'll touch on those issues in a little while. But there's a sense of shock. As I mentioned, even even if somebody has been lingering close to death, we're never quite ready when it comes. There can be anger. It's so wrong that they should go. Now we can be angry at God, we can be angry at somebody else for causing the death. But all this anger and denial, it's all part of a change in how we start to understand our world. The world looks different because something really horrible has happened and we would much rather it didn't happen. The people around us don't want it to happen, but it has. And because there's aspects of, oh, if only I had done this, or maybe if I'd said this, it wouldn't have happened. Well, And that's often related to road accidents. If I'd not taken that turn, if I'd delayed or gone earlier, we can't change those things. There's a bit of grief happening here with Myra. Isn't she beautiful? (laughs) She's okay. She's fine. (laughs) And if that continues, this anger, this denial, this bargaining, we start to see no way out. I'll never get over this. Or, with my luck, what else could I expect? You know, these are the signs of depression. And it's natural enough to have those thoughts of depression. As the psalmist, Psalm 42 and Psalm 43, just two classic cases. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you so devastated within me? I think about all the great things I've done, but it's all nothing. But each of those psalms closes with that beautiful promise, 
Yet I will hope in God, my help and my redeemer. And so we need to let those feelings out rather than deny the depression, but admit to it when it comes. And we need to help people admit to it, but not to see that that's the end of the story because there's that sense of acceptance. I can't change this. I can't change the past, but I'm moving on. And that's where we help people through and to recognise that I said these are cycles as well as stages of grief because there are elements of those stages that will come back. They may come back with a different focus, a different emphasis. That grief will always be there, that sense of loss. And there will be elements of anger that crop up. But it's not the end of the story because we grow through. As we revisit those memories, we realise maybe that we might have contributed or it might be partly somebody else's fault, but we've grown and they've grown. Speaking of growing... (laughs) Let's think about what a funeral is. Now, I've conducted hundreds of funerals. They're always a sense of sadness, but they're not always morbid. There have been some very funny funerals I've had. And I, where it's possible, where it's um, appropriate, I like to put the F-U-N into a funeral because... While it's a sad occasion, it doesn't have to be morbid. There are lots of happy memories that need to be revisited. And I've sometimes had, I've often been called in to look after funerals for people I don't know. And uh, that can be fun too. And I'll touch on that in a moment. But a funeral is to honour the person who's gone. It's to commit their spirits into God's presence. It's with, to dispose of something they no longer need or something which has grown too frail for them, their physical body, with reverence and with dignity. Because God has designed it so that we go through this part of life in what really is a temporary package. It gets old. It wears out. Things go wrong with it, sometimes from an early age. I was staying with friends on Friday night and uh, their grandson has discovered they've been diagnosed with a, some intestinal colitis which is going to affect him all through his growing years until he's old enough, he's, he's grown up enough for his body to take the operation which can replace that part of his system. Because if they try to do it now, his his constant growth is going to keep wearing away at what, what the surgery is. So, you know, these are things, our bodies do things that don't work. And as we get older, we find more and more, well, less and less cooperation from our bodies and the things that we used to do. But it, a funeral is to celebrate somebody's life and to recognise that this is not the end of the story. Because as in separating, disposing of what we no longer need, we move into a dimension of God's grace which is beyond our capacity to imagine it. It's so good. Now I tried 
to convey some of that with those three stories last week of Lazarus, of the thief on the cross and the young stillborn boy. But we need to recognise that they are separate from us. It was a little bit sad to go into a cathedral in Colombia about four or five years ago to find the embalmed corpse of a bishop under the altar behind a glass case. Now, that's okay. <laughs> um, just not having a shot at the Catholics, but you know, there's, there's a sense that we sometimes try to hold on what, what we can't keep. And it's to recognise that the physical separation is there. And it's also to recognise our ways to support those who grieve. And in that sense, in this time of this age of being time poor, it's worth considering a funeral service or a thanksgiving service after the burial or cremation so that people can stay together and, and share the memories. Because often when there's a, a thanksgiving or a, a celebration service, then a burial or cremation, and then the refreshments time, people just don't have that sense of travel time and you know, the opportunity to get back together is lost. I found that with Judy's grandmother's funeral. Lovely old lady. She, um, she would have been 119 if she was still with us. But um, she, we needed Gran to be with us at the uh, refreshments time because she could connect everybody and you know, put, uh, put us into families that didn't exist because, well, we knew each other and all these connections. But she was right up with it. Only had two weeks in a nursing home when she died at 96. So lived in her own home up until then. Amazing. But the, um, the service, then the burial, we didn't all get to know each other properly because we weren't all able to come back for it. So that's just a suggestion. Now, I often tell people at a funeral that being at the funeral is saying more than whatever words might come out of our mouths at any particular time because... The conversations won't stop when the service is over. Grief will trigger all kinds of conversations. So being there, signing the attendance slip is really saying so much. Because often when in that shock of grief, I've had families say to me, you know, I was surprised that Joe or Betty or Frank weren't there. But they were there. It just didn't register at the time. Now, if you're ever asked to speak at a funeral, write it down in full. That way, if your emotions catch you, and they very easily can, you don't have to fight to recapture your emotions and then try to remember what you're up to. And if, if you've written it down and you can't continue whoever is looking after the service can continue on your behalf. If there are grandchildren who want to say something at the funeral of a grandparent, get them to come up together so they can offer each other mutual support. I did mention a couple of 
funerals where there's been some interesting things said. There's one fellow I didn't know, and his mate got up to speak. He said, George, if that was his name, I can't remember, wasn't famous for his generosity. (laughs) There you go. This was an honest friend talking. When he turned 50, he put on a barbecue and uh, everything was thrown on free, all the drink, all the food we'd want. We waited for that generosity to reappear, but it never did. He said, he called me one day. He said, I've got a tree to drop in the backyard. I wonder if you could give me a hand. So I said, okay. I went around there and he said, I've been checking with my insurance. And if we have an accident, uh, that'll claim off my insurance. But if I offer to pay you work cover, we'll pick it up. So how about if I offer you $100? So I said, okay. We dropped the tree and he said, well, you didn't have an accident, so I won't give you the $100. <laughs> There you go. Some people are known to breathe out as well as in. But, <laughs> but see, that was an honest picture. And uh, it's often good to have a service taped because as we trace down through somebody's life, it triggers memory lane pictures and people will just travel down those memory lanes. But it is time also at a funeral for healing perspectives I've seen feuds repaired. People have got their knickers in a knot over some minor thing and they've just separated completely, but then the death comes and they realise those little things that have been, been separated are nothing compared with the vast things they can share together and the healing that can take place, sadly, after a funeral. There's still opportunities there. Could I ask you to not join the conspiracy of silence? Now this is a conspiracy that people join without knowing. It usually sets in about a month after somebody dies. Even from people who have been just dropped everything to help out in all sorts of practical ways, to be there and to comfort to do the cooking, the school run, as Rebecca mentioned, Uh, all those other little things, gardening, tips, whatever. And then they withdraw. I mean, they've got life to get on with. And some people join this conspiracy of silence by refusing all mention of the person who's died. Or they will avoid any contact with the person who's still grieving. Because by then, well, they should have got over it. Now, it's usually people who haven't been touched by grief themselves that join that conspiracy. But it's important to share your memories, to complete the picture. We will all miss somebody in our family or a circle of friends for different reasons. There will be aspects about their life that will have made a, a special connection with us. And the memories we have of them will be memories we've helped to create because in our relationship we strengthen each other. And we need to just let ourselves talk in all sorts of different ways about the person who's lost. I mean, a classic case here is you look at the Gospels. Now, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John 
are all describing the ministry of Jesus, but they each have a different emphasis, even though it's the same person. And those four are able to give us a much better picture. If we only had one gospel, like if we had the gospel of John, there wouldn't be any mention of communion, of the Lord's Supper. Now we know that was there because the other three writers you know, go into detail about it. So share the memories you have and listen to those other memories and you'll discover just more appreciation. And some of those memories will have been very insignificant events but they've had tremendous effect on the people who are sharing the memory. Let memories live even years from now. Memories of dates, of people or places. Now some of those memories might have anniversaries, especially the dates, things, uh, and you'll be able to think, oh, now it was just four years ago that George died, or I better take a bit of time out with Mary. You know, or they'll mention people who have been significant and again there'll be need to just let the memories flow. Or significant places where really important things have happened. But we also need to be aware that grief can re recur, return unexpectedly. It may be that somebody says something or does something which would echo the person who has gone. Or it might be something they say or do that the person who's gone would violently react to and they'll be expecting the reaction and it won't come. Again, that's when the, that sense of separation will just hit back with a fresh touch. It's all a reminder that God has designed us to live way past the time we breathe inside this bag of bones. We're designed to live forever with him. More intimately, uh, there'll be um, sights and sounds or even smells that remind us of a person. Now, that's, that's much more intimate, but you know, there'll be things that trigger deep and personal memories. And we just need to be sensitive when people are experiencing that to let them talk if they want to. Not to force them to talk, but to let them talk. Just be open to God's prompting to their heartache. To let them speak or even to withdraw as they feel comfortable. And as we trust God with the withdrawal, we'll be providing some healing and respect. Now Jesus is our bridge across the pain. He's our man of sorrows. Grief reminds us that he's made us for eternity with him. And in that sense of the bridge across, I've often had wives or husbands talk to me about their concern of having had a vision of their husband or their wife in the bedroom, a message to come 
to reassure them that they're okay. And they've asked me, am I going crazy? Because, you know, it's only happened to them once. But so many times people will see this. The man only said once, but so many people have seen this and experienced the reassurance and maybe the confusion. No, they're not going mad. It's just a gift from God of reassurance, especially when they've been particularly low. Now, a beautiful thing about God's grace that he says he'll never leave us nor forsake us. In our grief, as we lose somebody special, we will find unexpected help from people who we mightn't have thought would even notice. We'll know we'll be able to count on the support of people who have always provided support. But then there'll be other people who come into our lives with exactly the right words, the right things to do, or the right listening time. And they will be gone as quickly as they've come because they'll have been angels God has sent. People have described this to me so many times as well. It's not fantasy. It's not going strange. It's a window across into a world which... We can't fully grasp yet, but it's available and it's promised to us as we keep trusting him. As I've said, it, it often happens. It's no sign of losing our grip. Well, that's the sort of natural expected grief that comes. What about when death comes from neglect or from violence or even more tragically, from self-harm. Now, there is no simple answer for this. But we can point to Jesus because he's been there, especially in those first two, because his disciples deserted him when he needed them the most. Couldn't you pray with me one hour, he said, in the garden? And yet, out of those deserters, God has built a church. And we're part of that legacy. Pilate buckled as a cowardly judge when the lynch mob demanded Jesus to be crucified. What evil? What's he done wrong? I wash my hands of it. But Jesus still was deserted and died a despicable, unjust death, a violent death. He understands violence and criminal neglect. And as people who are victims of somebody who's, well, they are the victims because somebody who they've been depending on has been taken. Jesus understands exactly how they feel. We can't unless we've experienced it ourselves, but he has and he's come back from it to offer tenderness and comfort and courage and healing. About suicide. Suicide is a tragic search for significance. The feeling that I don't matter. Nobody will notice that I've gone. 
and most dramatically, it's a permanent solution to a temporary problem. And what's worse, especially among young people who suicide, suicide pacts can come because they'll either plan it beforehand or they'll go to the funeral of somebody who's maybe suicided or somebody who's been a victim of road trauma, killed in a road accident, and they'll be thinking, oh, life holds nothing for me. And look at the fuss they've made over Harry or Betty or maybe if I suicided, people would notice me. And this is the tragic, the tragic thought pattern that poisons young people's minds. True, people will say nice things about you, but you won't be able to learn from what they're saying. You won't be able to draw from their respect and stand stronger. Because life is too special to try all alone. Life is too special to be measured by the external things that make us feel that we don't matter because we don't have the things or we haven't had that experience or we don't look that way or smell that way or think that way or own this or own that. The answer to suicide and its tendencies is to affirm one another for who we are, not just for how well we do or how good we look. I've pumped a lot of stuff at you and I've tried to distill many years of handling grief so that while you may not do anything prominent when somebody passes away, you'll have some tools to work with. But it's important that we accept our humanity. In all of this, what I've shared with you, it doesn't make me perfect, it won't make you perfect. Jesus wept at Lazarus' grave. You know, when we used to have Sunday school memory verses, John eleven thirty five was the big popular one because two words, Jesus wept. That missed the point that his heart was aching over a friend that he'd lost. He was aching over the unbelief of the Jews as well. Heart was aching for Mary and Martha. But Jesus wept and we shouldn't be afraid to cry. I remember a seminar on grief. One of the fellows, a fellow there leading it, said, don't be afraid to cry at a funeral, even if you're taking it, but make sure you don't cry at every one. There are elements of grief that will seize us by surprise. Tears are a gift that let us release words or phrases or thoughts that we can't properly express. Similar to the laughter that releases joy that we can't express. This is the other extreme emotionally. And don't be afraid. As um, Paul writes to his friends at Rome, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. And that great promise from 2 Corinthians 12, 9, where Paul says, God perfects his strength in our weakness. We're weak, 
We are fallible. We are failure-prone. But as we plug all of that into God's redeeming power and grace, we can become agents of healing and hope and support and practical love.